0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. And today we're Thursday. I am not Renee. Um, she is our amazing other host. Uh, she wasn't able to make us make it today. So I am filling in. Um, I'm doing my part and her part. So for those of you following us on LinkedIn, please ensure that you follow. Um Myself and both of our amazing guests today, we have Dutch Schwartz and Ian Ahmet. Um, both of them have really extensive background in cyber and cloud. And we're going to, I think that's going to be the topic for today. Uh, just just decided we'll, 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 we'll talk about that intersection today. And then um, for those of you who are on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and that notification button. That way, you get notified the next time. And for those of you on podcast, uh, don't forget to share with friends and family so that we could get more people interested into cybersecurity. And with that, let's introduce our guests. Uh, Dutch, you want to introduce
1: yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm a, a cloud security strategist. So I spend my days and nights with uh, with CISOs, CSOs, architects. And so uh, what I what I focus on personally is really around the, the title kind of says a cloud security strategy, right? So I really focus on, uh, to some degree, frameworks, but mostly around culture, strategy, leadership. Um, how do we, you know, sort of the human elements, really, to a large degree, right? Um, and some, in some ways, my role is a translator, right? To translate between the business and the technologists, you know. So if I'm doing it well, right, that that's part of my role is to really kind of take us from where we've been historically, which is where I would say is. A cost center under IT, right? Uh, because of the way we came up historically, to now CISOs or CSOs, if not reporting directly to the CEO and the board, certainly um, talking directly to the CEO and the board, even if that's not the formal structure. And you know, that that change started about four and a half, five years ago. But of course, the unfortunately, but but uh, but but pointfully here it accelerated during the pandemic, right? With all those that that really kind of condensed everybody's cycles uh, to where they are. So really a lot of what I do is, is kind of help executives and architects or aspiring folks, you know, in that area think about, uh, we've made it to the adult table, as I would call it, you know, from an American standpoint, right? And so that also um, means that we have to do things uh, that are not just technical, but we have to understand uh, what are my business initiatives? Um, How does the board think about risk? I don't get to uh, set risk appetite uh, and risk tolerance, right? They do. Um, Also kind of coaching folks that we don't own, I'm going to use our quotes, we don't own risk, right? We are there to inform on risk, advise on risk, mitigate it. We're there to manage it when and if it occurs, but we don't own risk, right? I've seen that as kind of, again, a historical thing that um, leads to candidly burnout and and, and people's frustration because they they don't feel, it's hard for them to feel like they did a great job today, right? Um, so that's a, that's kind of another piece that I focus on is helping people understand, hey, risk really is a, a business choice just like any business choice, whether it be um, manufacturing or the risk of arbitrage or currency exchange. It, it's a, just another type of risk, but it is integral today because most people can't do anything credit, candidly without digital and cybersecurity, right? So it, it's changed that. So um, for aspiring folks, I would encourage you, wherever you are in your career, to start talking to your peers outside of IT, outside of security, outside of dev, and start talking to people in HR, in finance, in legal, logistics, all those other domains, because ultimately we're in service to them. Wow. Well, uh, th-
0: thank you for that introduction, uh, Dutch. You bet. Um, Ian, you wanna tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, sir. Of course.
2: Uh, so, Ian Amit, I am a Chief Security Officer, uh, currently uh, acting as an advisory CISO with Rapid Seven, working with uh, strategic top tier top tier customers and basically helping them figure out their security program and enhance them. In my past, I've uh, served as a Chief Security Officer for Simpress for four years, and generally, I'm a hacker. Uh, I kind of grew up in uh, in the hacking community, tinkered a lot, uh, mostly self-taught, and uh, had a long, long career that spanned everything from low-level kind of Linux hacking and security, pen testing, application security, physical security, red teaming uh, around the world. Lots of uh, lots of research and speaking engagements, and at some point, I kind of. Shifted all the way into the dark side and joined the executive team. And uh, you know what? What Doug said about uh, being a translator and working with the board and managing risk uh, and owning risk at, at some parts uh, definitely definitely resonated with me.
0: Okay, okay. And um, so this we tried to make this as interactive as possible. So um, we invite our guests to, to join in the conversation. So we're gonna shout out a couple of our um, listeners so far. Uh, We have Roy who's saying good morning to everyone and David saying good evening to everyone. So we have folks from all over the world joining and that makes it an interesting part of the conversation. So as we think about the, the, the evolving threat landscape within the cloud, how does someone new to the industry really pick up the skills needed to be able to, to jump into the, a cloud security role and spin up really quickly. I want to go
1: first. Ian, you want to go first?
2: Okay. Sure, yeah, I, I can, you know, working with a few security engineers and people who actually shifted from a non-cloud perspective, even kind of a DevOps or, or pure dev perspective and wanted to get into cloud security, uh, you know, I was kind of facilitating and helping them uh, uh, throughout that transition and, and journey. I think that the, the the key area is really, you know, two two key areas. One is to relearn uh, the architecture. You know, a lot of people who are coming in from the more traditional uh, traditional approaches of data centers and you know the the old old school uh, three tier application. Uh, uh, architectures really, you know, if, if they try to force that, if they try to apply that, those concepts into the cloud, it's a complete failure. So the first step is really to, to relearn how the cloud works. What are the moving pieces in it? Like what are the interactions? How can you form a, what are the rules of the road, so to speak, it, which leads to the second concept, which is try it for yourself. I, it is so cheap these days borderline free on on every major cloud provider. You can get some some free credits and literally just play around. They will pay you almost to take their courses, to to learn how to use their specific cloud facilities and doing that and coming in with a security mindset, you know, it's it's, you're going through the motions of doing all those walkthrough tutorials of deploying applications and securing them And and scaling them and providing access and revoking access and all those different things, if you keep in mind kind of the the, the security aspect of it, you're going to do so much learning that's going to really set you up for success as a security professional dealing with cloud security. So having that hands-on experience, not just reading about it, but actually experiencing it, actually connecting things, tearing it down, You know, applying some pen testing, applying some uh, some adversarial techniques to it to make sure that it's it's actually working, Uh, you know, trying out with different roles to see how that applies and how that looks like from from a practical perspective, I think goes a long way Uh, from from my, you know, from my point of view, at least I'm going to give much more credit to someone who's gone through that. Than to someone who's been taking courses or or anything kind of almost formal in cloud security, because they have that hands-on, they know how it interacts, and they can they can later on work with the the right people in the organization to get security to where where it needs to be. I, I love that. Touch. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. I, so plus one, I agree with everything that Ian just said. So I'll take the last piece and then I'll kind of step through in a more, you know, kind of more structured way. But the last piece from, from my perspective, right? And we, and Chris, you and I have talked about this in the past, right? There's a difference between knowledge, skills, and competencies. Okay. Knowledge is I read a thing. I studied a thing. I may have even been tested on a thing, right? That's knowledge. it's the base, right? A skill is more narrow. Okay. A skill is I know how to configure this specific Uh, I'll just pick WAF as an example, this specific WAF from this specific vendor to uh, mitigate against the OASP top 10. That's a good thing. That's that's a positive thing. However, a competency is a skill which transfers. As an example, to, to Ian's point, a competency here is the ability to learn on the fly. That competency, you could have had that from... Uh, working in a charity, working in the federal government, working in a completely different domain. You could be an auditor um, in insurance. You could be uh, somebody who's in, in law enforcement. The ability to learn on the fly, I would suggest, is a critical competency that you should look for. And that's because the pace of the cloud is is a, an order of magnitude faster than it was historically, in sort of in all ways, right? And so the good news is um, you get... 3,000 times a day to, to try a thing. The bad news is you get 3,000 times a day to try a thing, right? So so you have to think about that. So where I see um, people where they might run into obstacles initially trying to make that transition, there's a couple. One is thinking of it as thinking of the, the cloud, okay, in the, in, in the biggest term possible here, uh, thinking as someone else's computer. was clever. It was a funny t-shirt. I had, you know, it's a great sticker. I get it. I was there. I had one of those, you know, stickers. That's not helpful for most people because it's really not somebody else's computer. It's really not somebody else's data center in as much as structurally to Ian's point, it's slightly different, right? The way that APIs work, the way that the management plane works is not the same. And again, I'm being general because it's really similar across. It doesn't really matter which CSP or a provider you're talking about here so how do you then kind of come to that from a different standpoint or a better starting point point? one is you need to understand and ian kind of implied this you need to understand whatever flavor of shared responsibility model that you're going to be working in that's really critical you need to go ground yourself in that and luckily there's there's t- tons of people thousands of people you can go talk to right at open community to talk about that so you need to understand shared responsibility you need to understand How does GRC change? How do policies change when you move into a cloud environment? Um, You need to have a, if you don't already, you should spend time with devs, with the DevOps uh, environment, because philosophically that's much closer to where cloud is headed. It is today, depending on your maturity and where you're headed, right? And then automation. Automation is absolutely critical. I kind of touched on that, right? I mean, so back in the old days, like I'm old, right? Like we would do like two major releases a year. We have a couple of dot releases. I mean, that is completely, completely astronomically different, right? The pace of that. Okay, so so to Ian's point, I would say relearn, but you have to rethink how you approach those things. Right? The control mechanisms, the things that you would read in CIS or NIST or et cetera, uh, UK cyber essentials, those control mechanisms, right? The ideas behind those are the same, right? Because those principles are well understood, but how you implement those may not be the same in, in a particular cloud environment. And so you really, really should spend the time. Um, so I plus one Ian on the whole get your, get your hands on a keyboard. Um, there's tons of opportunities. There's, t- there's a lot of great training, Chris, you do training. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do to upskill that, but you do need to think about it in a different way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, let, let me pivot over to some of the comments. Uh, we've got more comments here. Um, well said what I, I would love to get paid to learn. And it's true. You, you do get paid to learn. Cause I mean, I know, not, not to mention names, but Azure, AWS, um, GCP, they all provide credits for you. So mm-hmm. you're being paid to learn. You get to use their stuff for free. So definitely take advantage of that, Sean. Um, on the YouTube side, we have Good Afternoon. Wondering if uh, Dutch has any specific tools that they would recommend for a newbie to start with. For example, Splunk or Ian, no offense, Um, I know we could touch to that in a bit. Um, And then on with regards to learning on the fly, uh, yes, Sean, and manufacturing, you can learn on the fly too. Um, David Riaz pointed out, Ian, good point. Also, which cloud services or virtual assets can you get your hands on to make them work and learn? Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, What what recommendations might you have for a, a specific tool set or environment to
2: play around. Um, Ian, you want to go first? Yeah, and and Chris, you already mentioned uh, the big cloud providers already, I mean, right off the bat, you can get free credits and play around with essentially every type of service that they offer, almost every type of service. On top of that, if you want to kind of uh, uh, combine more complex situations you can do cross cloud all right so you can sign up to gcp and to azure into aws and test out how it's going to look like again in the real world you're 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 going to run into (laughs) you're going to run into mostly aws environment but someone in marketing wants to do some some analytics on gcp creating those back and forth is, is is an amazing opportunity and also adding third parties um from a DevOps side, if you start looking at, at the CICD kind of pipelines and stacks, all of them have free tiers in them that you can play around, you can construct them, you can break them, you can you can kind of experience how that works. These are the main, one, main ones that I would, uh, I would really focus on. All the major providers have very, very good documentation, have tutorials, have walkthroughs and kind of pre-planned. Build this, build that, like a full stack application. So that's that's where I would go. It's uh, and and Chris, again, you mentioned the the big three. Definitely, my first my first starting point would be there. Okay, and Dr. what about your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I would certainly agree. For certainly, for North America, Americas, AMEA customers, right? Those are the three right there. Are obviously, some nuances in other areas where there are ones that are that are slightly more. Uh, percentage wise uh, important. Okay. but but I would sort of shy away from any specific tool because uh, I, I don't know without you know knowing your, that person's background, but what I would say is look at um, areas. So you just to to get started, right? So here's an example. Um, for any of the three that were mentioned, you really need to have a great understanding of of identity and access management. It, it's 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 the absolute starting point. For for a cloud environment, relative, and it was not the case necessarily, right, when we were all on prem. Um, so you might want to really dig deep into identity access management. You want to spend time, I agree with Ian, on DevOps. So, like, pick an area, right? So, pick a, a functional area as opposed to a tool. And then I'll just take the, the one you mentioned Splunk, phenomenal, right? Unbelievable. There's great resources, but Splunk is fairly mature, right, in terms of where where, and when you would interact with a, with a SIM like that. So I would suggest more basic things like identity access management, policies, right? It's really important to get policies, you know, correct. Understanding DevOps, to your point, right, the CICD pipeline. How do you do secure CICD or different terminology, but, it, you know. Um, and then, Ian, you mentioned the multiple cloud uh, opportunities, and I think there's validity to that also just from a pure learning standpoint, right? Every um, environment will use slightly different language that essentially means the same thing, right? We're back to translating. And so if that's something that's interesting to you, um, you know, begin that early in your career. Hey, how would I do this, you know, with person A? How would I do it with B? How would I do it with C? Because doing that um, will help you. And then the last piece of that I would say is once you get some experience um, teaching somebody else, will be the best way for you to learn. It'll push you, right? Um, there's a, sometimes a hesitation, you know, cause we use these terms like subject matter expert, which I, which I'm not a fan of, but I, you know, we get called those sometimes and I understand the the philosophy behind why they say that, but, but sometimes it's inhibiting, right? So if you're new to an area, you feel like, Oh, I can't like Chris might be like, Oh, I'm, I can't say anything on this topic. Cause I'm not an, an expert. Like there's very few experts. <laughs> there's just such a wide range of, of, of things that you can do in a cloud security environment. So don't let that inhibit you, right? You still have a point of view. If you've learned something cool, great. There's somebody who's not learned that yet. And maybe they're super experienced or mature in another area. That's awesome. But teaching somebody else will really fundamentally help you understand the thing that you're trying to, to, to improve upon.
2: I, I cannot agree more, by the way, Dutch, about uh, that teaching experience. You know, it forces you into a perspective of, pardon my friends, but, oh, shit, you know, now I'm responsible for teaching someone else. I have to make sure that I don't just know that specific topic, but I have to know a little bit more left and right just to make sure that, you know, whatever question comes up, I can feel that. And it forces you to have so much better learning yourself. And I can I can attest to that. You know, sometimes I, I've, I've been teaching, I've been doing courses it puts you in a situation where you get so much better at what you do and and so much closer to that expert status and so you know huge plus one on that uh, that that is and i i I'm, I'm being challenged all the time even in new things that i'm learning my teachers at some point will tell me all right now you teach me you know you're at the point where i want you to think about how to translate your learnings back into like teaching someone you. And that is a huge, huge step forward.
1: Yeah. And I think what I, what I hear you saying, Ian, to, and this is kind of a good uh, backdrop too, is context. Context is really important, right? So again, when you um, are a 10,000 hours theory person, right? So it's, it's a great theory. There's a lot of efficacy to that and there's certain domains where that's really useful. Uh, but I would also encourage you to, to pick up a book called range which teaches you that you can make a mid-career change. You can come from another discipline, right? And I would, James is not here to argue with me, uh, but but I would suggest that there's a lot of value, right? We should have organizational psychologists. We should have social uh, historians. We should have other domains because there are things that we're learning or we're relearning in cybersecurity that have been um, well understood for decades in other, in other areas that we can apply. So context is really useful, that ability what Ian said, it was to to abstract something when you, because when you teach, if I have to teach Chris, I have to rethink this, I have to abstract. Well, it's not about just this specific line of code or this command, it's, well, why am I using that one versus another one? And what does that mean? And where does that lead to? So the ability to translate and the ability to to put things into context will really accelerate, you know, whatever your career path is. Wow,
0: So I have a question for both of you. Uh, We often, think about the shared responsibility model in the cloud. And we know the two things that we're always responsible for is our data and the identity within the cloud. So when it comes to those two things, how mature do we feel organizations are, say for example, in tracking data, data lineages and protecting their information in the cloud. And then on the other aspect of it, um, managing access at an identity level to data and who in an organization should have access?
1: Ian wants to take that one? I'll take that one, I guess. So <laughs> it, I, it, it's, a, it's a huge range. I mean, that's my honest answer, right? I mean, so it's a very different if the three of us were not in cybersecurity and we left tomorrow and we started a bicycle company Uh, we might never really need to learn cybersecurity or, frankly, IT, right? Because now we have native operators. So we might start native, right? And that's a very different maturity path for I'm an 80-year-old company. And I I don't like the word tech debt because it sounds, it's by definition really negative the way, but what you have is inertia, right? You have inertia. Um, And it was built probably with good intentions. In other words, you have training, you have workflow, you have knowledge, You have a whole host of things that just happen by nature from a timeline standpoint. And so uh, I think it's that's a huge range, Chris, to answer your question. But you pointed out those are the things, right? So in the in the military, um, you know, we talk about I can delegate my authority, but I can't delegate my responsibility. I can't. Okay. It's just kind of a pinnacle hallmark of the way that military leadership thinks, right? It's the same thing here. You can you can delegate. Uh, opportunities to, to create policies, but you, and I say you, I mean the business, the business always owns their risk. It, it, it's, it has to be that way because that's the nature of the business, right? Is, is, to, is to be able to make choices on that risk, right? And they get to make those trade-offs, right? It's our job to inform them you know, about those choices, to talk about a particular risk posture or maybe trends or changes that are happening. But at the end of the day, if we do, in my estimation, If we do our roles correctly, it's to thoughtfully advise on risk using language that the business understands, right? And then once a, to to really point out, you have a a part of the business that wants to use a particular piece of software, a particular tooling, um, and you've advised, hey, we don't really have the expertise, so we don't have the workflow, et cetera, et cetera. At some point, the business gets to make that choice. Right. If if they're the leader, they the, they own the P and L or the CEO, they get to make that choice. And then we have to flip into support mode and say, okay, now that this risk, we're gonna this is a risk that's being accepted. Now, how do we mitigate that to the best of our ability? And then resiliency is critical. So, if something were to happen, let's tabletop that. Let's role play it. Like, what would we do then if if something were to happen? So that's kind of how I think about that. It's a huge range, and you need to understand. Where's my business? Because your business might choose to move very quickly, right? Knowing that there will be some trade-offs, and it's as long as you've explained those in a way that they understand, then then we've done our part, right? And then we have to go into resource protection, you know, response mode.
2: What are your thoughts yeah. on that, Ian? So, so, from my perspective, you know, first of all, it's a super challenging question, very very broad, and. <laughs> um, that shared responsibility model, again, as, as an ex-Amazonian, uh, I, can, I can absolutely connect to it and, and relate to it. Uh, and every business needs to understand that they cannot just kind of shop around for risk. They cannot just shop around for a solution and expect everything to be just uh, unicorns and, and rainbows and roses. They have a responsibility for doing, for executing. You know, we talked before about skills and practices and, and kind of, you know, taking the tools and doing something with them. That's their responsibility. And having said that, uh, the complexity that modern cloud environments yield in terms of data, in terms of identities, is is nowhere where it was 10, 15 years ago. And so that poses a whole new challenge and that your responsibility model becomes much more challenging for businesses that are getting into the cloud or starting to adopt it again going back to my previous comment about it, those those transitioning into the cloud those taking more of the the traditional architectural aspects and trying to adapt into the cloud these are typically the situations where you see a lot of failures where you see a lot of learnings all right not failures in terms of oh what do I do with all that data and identities like that 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 mesh. Of of access controls and, and 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 interactions between things gets very, very complicated, and people make a lot of mistakes around it. So, two things from my end. Again, one is learn that environment. All right, these are fresh new skills. You have to understand how that works. The all the cloud providers, all the major suppliers do have native tools that will audit your own data permissions and access permissions and identity structure having said that they might not be the super friendliest tools in the world and that's kind of created a whole new market for third-party tools which we all know and love that are there to accommodate for that uh, let's call it gap in in terms of skill set so if you you have engineers that are not you know, weren't born into the cloud, weren't, are are not like super well-versed in it, then from from the business perspective, that's a good opportunity to understand, you know, where do I want to invest now? Do I want to invest in more skill sets so that my people can know how to operate those basic tools and and kind of chart out that identity and data path mapping? Or do I invest it in third-party tools that are going to do that for me and free up my people to do something else. So again, it goes back to the business, the the concept stays the same. It is your responsibility. You're using the tools, you're putting data there, you're configuring out any identities. It's up to you. No one's going to, you know, it, it kind of walk you through because no one knows your business better than you are. So it's your responsibility and then it's just a question of do I apply my own skill sets or do I acquire my own skill sets to do that properly? Or do I take it outside in forms of consulting or third parties that are providing tools that will kind of snap onto those cloud environments and help me figure out, back to Dutch's point, help me figure out what is the context? What does that mean? You know, where is the top risk? And top risk means, you know, you've got an asset that seems to be critical that has a lot of access potential. You know, maybe not first level, kind of everything is open, but... You've got a lot of identities around it. A lot, of, a lot of roles can be assumed around that. And there's just a mesh, as I said, of, of interconnections that would allow an attacker to more easily traverse it and get into that asset. So that's where the tools, what those third-party tools are there for. That's how some of those cloud-native tools also work in terms of charting path on, on kind of that connectivity graph to, to show you what's accessible and what's not. And it is back to the business. It's it's their responsibility in, in that shared shared responsibility model.
0: Wow. Wow. I absolutely love that. We have some great comments as well coming in. Uh, Will said super insightful stuff already, guys. Uh, example, risk management versus risk ownership, cloud versus on-prem, and everything that you need to learn. Of course, the comment that James isn't here to
1: grumble <laughs> about liberal arts degrees. <laughs> And then, Ian, um, Ian, for your sake, I, I, my bachelor's is in history. So, so James and I go around and around, you know, on that. The, the I'm not going to hold it history.
2: against you. That's fine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then one for you, Ian. Uh, love the recommendation for the range book. Um, any chance Ian has a favorite hacker theme book that he wanted to um, to recommend?
2: Oh wow! Um. Hacker books. I'm actually going to go with a classic that I've, I've kind of revisited uh, uh, fairly, fairly recently, which is the Cuckoo's Egg. Always applicable, an yeah. amazing story, and I've only recently was exposed to a Nova documentary that was done with the the actual kind of you know heroes, so to speak. So Cliff Stalls plays himself in that documentary. It, it kind of walks through you know, what it was like. And although Cliff himself doesn't, you know, isn't considered a hacker, it, it's one of the classic kind of hacker books that I've read early in my career, in my academic career. So I, I love getting back to that book and kind of rereading it. There's there's a lot of others, but I would actually go old school and, and reread that because it really talks about the mentality and the challenges. And you know, a lot of that old school stuff can still be applied today. You know, it might not be a dot matrix printer that you're using; it might be something else to kind of track the logs and 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 get those uh, and archive those logs and go through them. But it still applies, and I think it's it's a great story.
0: Absolutely, and and that's the the cuckoo's egg, right? Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, S- Scott asked for the name again. I would say for, for my book, it is uh, Project Phoenix, and while it's not directly applicable, I, I mean, you could see—I I see myself in a lot of the characters. And then you have the follow-on um, Project Unicorn or Unicorn, Unicorn Project—I mix it up all the time—and I definitely agree, like those two books, um, especially Project Unicorn Project. That's totally DevOps, totally cloud, uh, totally today. So uh, those are your recommendations, uh, Scott. Um, Will mentioned, yep, Cuckoo's Egg is a must-read. Cliff Stall is a legend. He even personally replied to an email that I sent when I first got into InfoSec. Wow, that, that's amazing there, Will. Um, so the the next question that I have for, for uh, both of you, actually, is as... As the, the threat of like these malicious ransomwares that are becoming easier and easier to deploy, um, what are some of the strategies that you would recommend um, for an individual, a company uh, to, to better prepare themselves?
1: I, I'm going to give you a very just blunt and transparent and very simple answer. The, the things that you need to do to protect yourself don't really change based on the manner in which the threat presents itself to you. So I get asked this question. Of course, it was very trendy and timely for obvious reasons. Um, And my answer is still the same. You you really, you know, and if you could step out and talk about music or sports or another area, right? The fundamentals are critical. And I know they don't always excite and jazz everybody up, especially when you're seven, nine, 12 years in your career. But My analogy or example that I would give, and it's just a simple one because I was, you know, I was at a thing where Peyton Manning was speaking. He did a great job. I'm not like a Colts or Peyton Manning fan per se, but he did a really great job. And one of the things that really always stayed with me all these years later was every summer he would go back to his college and practice his footwork every summer. And again, you could pick somebody else. You pick Michael Jordan, you pick Kobe Bryant, you pick LeBron James. Again, I'm using sports, but you can go through music or other uh, activities. You have to do the basics. You have to, and that's one of the things that people who become really, really um, knowledgeable about a thing they go back to the basics over and over and over again, and they really they try to learn in a different way. They try to understand how does Ian do it versus the way I do it. So I love that there's some kind of magic potion or different answer. The answer is you have to do identity correctly. You have to understand what am I trying to protect. You have to understand what risks of the the business. It's willing to take and how do we respond to that? And then resilience is absolutely critical, right? You, you, we, we went through these, these throws where we're like, no, we'll never be breached. And then we finally said, okay, that's through. It's just really not because it, it mentally it's not helpful, right? It doesn't help people to think about that way. And I get you may, if you're talking to a business executive, you may have to coach them, right? And again, analogies, we learn through stories, Right. Analogies will help people. Right. So occasionally, again, because it's a physical cue, I've taken like an old school light switch and a rheostat. And I'm like, I think that you think that security is like this. It's binary. Right. It's off and it's on. And I told a little story about how light switches are invented to make it kind of stick with them. And I'm like, what it's really like is this rheostat. OK. All right. And and, and as things change, we have to change with it. And so there's things that you can do to help the business folks understand but it's not binary. There's no end to the way that we secure things, right? So the things that I would suggest you do to protect yourself or ransomware are the exact same things I would say to protect yourself from crypto mining or anything, right? It is the basic fundamental things. You have to nail those. That is, in my view, the path to success.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, if, if, if I'm trying to provide kind of a one, two, three best practices, I would start with, you know, because the question was individually and then from a business. Individually, again, it's the basics that Dutch talked about practically what it means. Backups, all right? Back it up on the cloud. Most of it, again, a lot of it can be free. I would actually opt for pay- paying a little more, you know, like a 100 bucks a year or something like that. gives you the ability to also restore to a particular point or to have versioning in your backups and have some local backups. Basic practices, you know, we've been doing that forever. MFA, you know, in every opportunity, every account that you have, uh, back to Dutch's point about identity, it's a basic element that anyone can do on their Gmail account, on their Facebook, on their LinkedIn, on on every SaaS application, almost to a point where you log into your your personal computer, you can have some form of additional uh, uh, authentication That is going to highly reduce the attack surface of of an attacker.
1: And then going
2: into kind of the more business perspective, eh, I'm going to harp into that attack surface, all right, or or the ability for a a ransomware element to spread across the network because we're going from an individual to to a network of computers. Eh, You know, in, in that sense, it becomes a little more complicated, but the same concepts apply. Again, remove the data separate it as far away from the local asset as possible. Uh, don't have people work on local files, have them work on cloud files or, or centralized storage uh, and back that up, all right? It's much easier than to try to back up 10,000 machines if you have everything stored in one place and you can you can have a really truly resilient uh, uh, backup scheme and resili- resiliency there can show up in the forms of, you know, it's very easy for me to, dispose of your machine and get you a new one. You know, VDIs, disposable, like secure browsers, whatever it is, you're essential. what you're doing is essentially reducing the attack surface. And if something does get hit, it c- cannot. So you're minimizing the lateral movement. You're making it harder for an attacker to traverse your network because you have MFAs, you have more restrictive access controls. And in the event that, that an outbreak will occur, it's going to be much more localized and much more containable. So you're essentially buying yourself time to deal with that, minimizing the impact, restoring very quickly. And the bottom line is that the business stays up. And that's what you're you're trying to accomplish here.
0: And now as we, we, we move to the next step of, of that, how, how do we how do we recover? I mean, I know you mentioned having backups, but one of the things that I've seen is that people never test their backups. Um, They never validate that it works properly. And then there's the other thing where the backups might be two, three versions out of date. And then now when you restore it, uh, it doesn't function properly. Um, what are some of the, the, the ways that you might recommend that businesses uh, opt to prepare for that?
1: Yeah, right. We, you play like you practice. it I means it's just really as simple. So again, whatever story or whatever will grip, but you have to tell a human story that people will connect with, right? And so if that one works, you know, and and, and works for your audience, use that. But you have to, you absolutely have to, to, to practice that. Right. I mean, so you should have periodic and it doesn't matter if it's quarterly or I I can't tell you the right frequency, depending on that business or the criticality of that asset. Right. But you have to test it. I mean, it's just really that simple. Right. So I said tabletop slowly because that's a a workflow and a people discussion. Right. But the the underpinnings of that are you have to actually have at a technical tactical level, the people who are actually admins, they have to practice that. And so you have to block off the time and it, it has to be a critical gating factor, or else you, you to Chris, to your point, you don't know what your risk is, right? So then the resiliency, res, I mean, if you, what, and I'm saying resiliency, if there's another word again that resonates inside of your culture, use that word, but you have to be able to recover in a way that is as graceful as you possibly can. And how graceful that is, is completely dependent on, the again, the risk that you're willing to take. And And I would point out there's more than one category of risk. And as a cybersecurity practitioner, you should understand. It. So I'll take myself an interaction and as an example, right? We often think to your point, Chris, about, about data. We think about PII, we think about, you know, sort of specific discrete pieces of data. And more than one time in my career, I've asked a, a CIO, CTO, CISO, Hey, what's the most, I don't want to presume, I think I know, but like, what's the most critical thing for you? And it there are many times where it was not what I thought it was as, as somebody who's externally consulting and helping them. And as an example, to give you the category, if so you have business or operational risk, that's like what we normally think about, right? Then there's the threat of litigation and there's the, the threat of reputation or, or reputational risk. And, and that's an example. So there might be instances where if there's been something that's happened in that environment um, for the board, uh, for your chief legal counsel and for your CFO, the threat of litigation might be much more impactful right? Than, than a business operational risk. So you need to also understand and tune your, you know, so, so if that, if that's a higher concern, then that needs to be tested more frequently, whatever the, the, the downstream impacts of that are um, if it's business or if it's reputational, then you need to orient on this, but you've got to have um, a way to orient because you cannot do all things. Right, that's that's a. Uh, I know we say it a lot, but it's still true, right? It's the Alexander the Great thing, you know. He who defends everything defends nothing, right? We cannot do all of the things perfectly. We just can't. So you've got to have a way to focus, and the focus can't be about, in my estimation, a vol matrix, uh, you know, it, you know, something that like discrete and tactical that we use. It needs to be aligned to where does the business see that risk. That's where then I have to lean into in terms of frequency testing resiliency. That, that's that's how I would orient. Okay, okay. And um,
2: Ian, how would you orient? One, one simple point from my end. I'm going to be very blunt here. If you haven't tested for real your your controls, you did nothing. Absolutely zero. And you can spend all the money in the world on the fanciest cyber products, blinking lights, brand names and, 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 you know, hashtags and whatever it is, if you haven't tested it for real, like a full backup, full restore to a working condition where people can actually operate the business, you did absolutely nothing. And I think a lot of people fail in that. Now, again, I'm, I'm being very, very blunt here. Because people are lazy lazy and they buy something, they get a lot of fancy services around it and and, and customer support and all that jazz, but they forget to actually put it to the test. That is the key for me. How to test it, that's a different question. Again, you, you can do the classic, all right, let's just do a functional test. Let's do a full, like after a backup or after a period where things have been running correctly let's take down a machine let's take you know let's uh, uh you know make some data disappear and then do a full restore to a working condition you're f- fully safe you know nothing can be broken that's fine and you can actually test that process another form of testing my favorite one is kind of relates a little more to what that says about function more risk oriented one is do a proper red team Hire someone to understand how your business works, to actually simulate an attacker, no bars held, that is going to go right after your core assets, that's going to find the easiest way to get there, not the fastest, not the most obvious one, not the one that you've spent all the, all the money in the world to protect, but the easiest. And that might traverse some social engineering and, and physical and, and cyber and whatever it is get there and experience how it's really like to be attacked. I love it. I love it because in in a proper red team, everyone gets the experience. There's only a handful of people in the organization that actually know that this is a red team and everyone else runs as if this is an actual event. You'll be the most hated person in the company for, for about a week and a half. I think that's the running average. But after, after that, everyone goes like, oh, you know what? That was great, you know, because we, you know, we, we haven't gone through like a full-on attack experience in a while. And, you know, beyond the tabletops, it really got us back onto our toes. It really kind of, it, it kind of got the rust off of some of the, 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 the muscle memory that you used to have. And it really shows you whether you're focusing on the right areas of risk or not. And it gets you to go through that functional testing as well of, of a restoration or resilience.
0: I, I love that. I love it. One of the comments coming in, um, David says, I say it all the time. It's not buying the latest and greatest investment thing into what we need and then testing to make sure it works. Hire a third party to come and show the weakness. Um, uh, Ian, you, you touched on one of, one of the, the things that gets confused a lot, the difference between a red team and a pen test. Um, oh, would, would you like to share the differences for our audience? Because I, I think that like having someone come in and do a red team or do a red team from the inside, however you do it, that's different than a pen test. Because- Correct. And I'd love to hear your insights on the differences between them. And so, so the if, difference
2: from my perspective is pretty simple. A, a penetration test is a scoped engagement that focuses on a set of assets and provides you the assurance that each and every one of those scoped assets is being functionally tested for vulnerabilities, for a potential exploitations, for lateral movement, for for a predefined set of attack scenarios that that a typical attacker would have in their their tool set. Um, a red team, and and again, because it has a scope, it is limited by nature because that scope limits your exposure to additional risk. uh, And it gives you, as I said, assurance that each and every one of those assets are going to be tested. And you're going to get a pretty good picture of what's going on there. A red team, on the other hand, is a full adversarial simulation. It is conducted typically by a third party or by a dedicated team that is tasked with, first and foremost, understanding what is the threat after. Okay? I can simulate a random attacker in their, you know, parent's basement. I can simulate a competitor with a different skill set and motivation, and access, I can simulate an insider. I can simulate a nation state. All right, these are all completely different attack scenarios or, or threat actors. So first of all, threat actors. Second of all, understanding the business. Again, an attacker would have a goal. A, a nation state might just want to shut you down, you know, because they're going to achieve some reputation. A, a competitor might want to steal your intellectual property and keep you running or manipulate with your running processes so that they're more successful in the market. So each one of those scenarios or or target assets is going to look differently. And then the execution itself, as opposed to a pen test, red team does not have a scope. If you start scoping out and limiting what a red teamer can do, You're basically going back to a pen test because you cannot limit an actual attacker with what you're allowed and what you're not allowed. What times can you operate? Who can you talk to? uh, Can you create fake companies and get into my supply chain? Can you talk to my people? Can you walk into my building? If there's any kind of limitation like that, uh, you're you're talking about pen test because a red team, a true attacker would utilize all those things create social media uh, fake social media accounts infiltrate into your company be an insider you know get hired get physical uh, uh, you know social engineer your executives or or your your so again back to supply chain your cleaners your third parties utilize them to get into your company that's how a red team operates and the last difference is typically a, a pen test is conducted over you know a week a couple of weeks 3 weeks tops A good red team has a minimal timeframe of at least a month in which they operate freely. They can go slow. They can kind of poke around. You know, they're really much less obvious than a pen test. And in a red team, you're actually testing your defenses, not just the controls, not just the technical controls that are going to show up in a pen test, but your defenses, your ability to, uh, to, to do proper analytics in your XDR or, or SIM, uh, your ability to operationalize your SOC or, or MDR uh, in terms of understanding. Though there's, there's kind of a threat brewing up here. There is a anomaly in terms of someone's behavior. We're seeing something funky. We're starting to see some lateral movement. All of those things uh, are really being stressed out in a red team as opposed to a pen test that's just not going to get there. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, just, you know, the, what I would add to Ian's experience there is let's go back to where the word comes from, right? I mean, so Red Cell, right, is is SEAL Team Six, Dick Marchenko, okay? And so if you haven't read that book, it's uh, there's some hyperbole and it's kind of bombastic, so I'll I'll, I'll say that at the front end, but the, the 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 factual pieces of it are are very accurate. So as a former military officer, like we we have the the formal what we call opposing forces, right? We study the doctrine, what we think we're going to come up against. And that's useful. That's much more like a pen test. I can assure you it's way more fun to be a red team person in the military where I would just get to jump in, drop in, do whatever with a small group of people and cause complete havoc, right? Because only the commander, you know, requests that and knows it's going to happen. And that is a lot more fun. and is. And it exposes a lot more different things because I could do social engineering. I could pretend to be other people, you know, and then you kind of give them a wake up call, right? So we used to leave like the ace of spades, you know, next to the sleeping people so they wake up and this is what we could have done had we had we wanted to, right? You have know, the formal people that you thought you were fighting. Guess what? The enemy gets a vote. The enemy gets a vote too. And the enemy's not going to play it out the way that you want to. It's still useful because it's practice, right? That's like pen testing. But to, to Ian's point, you know, if you want to see the history of kind of where that terminology comes from, it's Red South's it's Navy te- SEAL Team 6 from Dick Marchenko. Okay, okay.
0: Um, Well, let's kind of take a pivot in the conversation. We're approaching the last 10 minutes, and I want to think think about the future. Think about the future of cybersecurity professionals. How do we create a pipeline of individuals to solve tomorrow's problems? I know yeah, it's I guess wide I, and vast I, and hard. Yeah, but
1: Everyone has their... So, so um, I'll go since I'm on screen. So I, I think that we need to, to rethink how we're both, how we bring people in, how we move people laterally from other parts of our company and how we upskill. Because those to me are the, are the three paths, right? So let's talk about each one of those. Bringing people in, obviously, that's, that's the, the theme of, of this, right? Breaking into cybersecurity, just the word that we, the fact that we have to say breaking in is, is a problem. Right. We have a problem here, right? We're not we're not viewed as being accepting of people who have not less skills, not less uh not less you know opportunity, but but they just they're at the earlier part of their career, right? So why is that? Well, I would suggest that uh 20 years ago, there were a lot of internship programs, there were a lot of technology programs, there was ways to get into a company, and many big companies, whether they were uh, in the government contractor space, or just Fortune 500 companies had those kind of programs. And candidly, a lot of us learned that way. We came up through that. Well, what happened? Well, when the dot-com bubble burst, a lot of that training, a lot of those internships, et cetera, those were one of the first things to go away, right? And then through the second financial crisis, right, that was more broad, um, the same thing, right? So I, I think that you have to step back and say, if we're going to solve this, which is a systemic, long-term pro- problem that we're going to have, We have to rethink that. So what will you do? Well, you have to double down on your investment then, right? You have to be willing to bring people in, right? I can, you know, Ian can teach you. Chris can teach you. We can teach you cybersecurity. We can teach you how to code. We can teach you how to do CICD. We can teach you all those things, right? What I would hire for is aptitudes and competencies, right? I'm looking for those things because we can teach you. But if you're in a manager, director, if you're in in a senior position, then you have to invest and plan for how you're going to train and give these people opportunities to learn. You can't just say, okay, great. Well, we got them in here and good luck to you, right? Because then you're going to get a random distribution of how people will perform, right? That's not how you train large groups of people. You cannot do it that way. So you have to have training, right? It's the same thing. If you have people in your company today and they want to move into cybersecurity, you should take them. (laughs) If they already understand your company, they know your culture by they're de facto good employees, you should take them. But we need more programs so people can move from HR, from legal, frankly, from marketing, from sales, from logistics, from transportation, whatever that is. They're already in your company, bring them over. But you have to have a program Of how you're going to train them right and then the upscaling i'll talk about you need to be able to rotate through different aspects of the roles right and you guys both touched on this right there's you you can absolutely make a great living and feel very fulfilled by doing one thing really really well that is the path i'm not suggesting that is not a great path but because of the rapidness of the change I would suggest thinking about rotating through different things, and again, you should create a program for that, right so Ian spends a couple of weeks doing g r c then he spends a couple of weeks doing pen right and again they're not because they'll become then your lead person in that area, but they have to they will do better over time if you help them understand there's pen testing there's g r c there's red teaming there's blue teaming I mean and go through the different areas right so that those are the three things of how do you bring people in from outside. How do you move people laterally that are already at your company? And then how do you upskill the people that you have? Because you've got to do that because they know there's opportunities, right? There's a negative percentage in terms of, of, of your uh, the hiring, right? We're in, a, we're in a deficit, right? So you've got to give them opportunities to be engaged. Why are we doing this thing that we're doing, right? What are my opportunities to learn? What are my opportunities to develop? Um, so that's how I see some some approaches that we could take
0: appreciate it, Dutch. Uh, Ian, uh, just before you, you start a uh, couple of comments. Um, love this conversation, shared insight, definitely having to listen to this again, love the takeaways. And then Scott says, that's it. I'm changing all my plans, completely sold. I'm going on a red team, fantastic webinar. most informative Thursday in a while, really great stuff. Um, so thank you there everyone for listening. And, um, Ian, what, what are your views on creating the future of cybersecurity?
2: Uh, you know, n- not a lot to add to what Dutch said, I, I, I you know fully agree. Maybe just a couple of, of emphasis. One is, don't look at obvious places, uh, you know, that lateral movement that, you know, look for people. I typically hire, honestly, based on kind of a twinkle in their eye when they talk about uh, security in general. That Twinkle carries a lot with it. It carries passion. It carries the ability to learn new things. And they typically show it, you know, which leads to that second focus where Dutch talked about upscaling and providing that, you know, from a practical perspective in a corporate environment, you need to have very specific leveling. So everyone is very, very clear about where they're at and what it would take to get to that next level. I think that we're missing out on a lot of that because it might not be like super PC or super correct to start kind of evaluating and scoring people on on a you know on on a ranking scale, but you know what that's called a profession, you know, and and to get to a professional level, you have to go through several stages and to do that properly and to get the right training at the right time you have to be honest and, and someone needs to keep you honest about where you're at. I see a lot of people getting hired for a position that is a way out of their actual skills and capabilities. And that's a bad experience for the individual and for the company. The company not getting what they paid for. The individual is getting super frustrated and, and is getting into that kind of black mire of, oh, I'm not performing and You know, how do I fake it until I make it? It's just not good for anyone. Have very clear leveling, have an honest discussion and testing and evaluations on where you're at. And that is going to be a great tool to facilitate for the managers in terms of, all right, what's the next level for you? How do we apply the right level of training? Is it me that's going to mentor you? Is it someone else? Do I, you know, send you to some third-party training? All those things, super important. And and provide you with measurable, the measurable ability to kind of traverse that ladder and get better and get, you know, fill in those positions that were so, uh, you know, finding it so hard to fill these days.
0: Wow. What what a way to wrap up this session. Uh, Dutch, Ian, thank you both so much. Everyone, thank you for joining us on CISO Thursdays. And if you're following us on LinkedIn, make sure you follow myself, Dutch and Ian. And for those of you on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button and the notification button. And for those listening after the fact on podcast, give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to us and share us with other folks. Really appreciate it. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us have a great rest of your year Thursday